Welcome back, everyone, to the Fluid Fan Podcast, brought to you by Sports Innovation Lab. I'm your host, Angela Ruggiero, the CEO and co-founder of Sports Innovation Lab. We are a market research and strategy company focused on the intersection of sports and tech. It's what we do each and every day, and uh, we're on a mission to help our clients create breakthrough fan experiences through tech. How you do that, you got to know the fan. That's what we talk about on this podcast, the Fluid Fan Podcast, uh, and really help then design the right technology partners and uh, structure organizations in the right way to deliver on that ultimate fan experience. So if you want to learn more about what we do, check out our website, sportsilab.com. Well, my guest today is one of my all-time greats, a true friend, uh, someone that's a absolute badass, has tackled everything and done it with spades. Got amazing athletic background. We'll start nine U.S. women's rowing teams, won a silver medal in the 2004 Olympics. You're talking to an Olympian today, uh, a gold medal in the 2002 World Championships, and is a member of the University of Michigan Hall of Fame. Kate Johnson is who we have. She's the current head of global sports and entertainment marketing, content, and media at Google. Yes, I said that right. Google. She's building her team uh, and her strategy. So those of you out there that want to know what Google's up to, Kate Johnson's at the helm building that vision. Uh, She's joining me today to talk everything, again, from her rowing career Um, to her time leading the marketing team at Visa. It's got some unbelievable work there. I was actually a team Visa athlete, got to know her through that as well. Um, And now all the innovative practices she's bringing to the sports division of Google. So let's not waste any more time and jump right into my conversation with Kate Johnson, the head of global sports and entertainment marketing, content and media at Google on today's Fluid Fan Podcast. All right, welcome everyone to the Fluid Fan Podcast. Today's guest, as you have heard, is a freaking rock star, Kate Johnson at Google. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, Angela, any time I get to talk to you is just about making my day. All right, this is going to be the best. You are, uh, you're a rock star. We're going to walk through your history and then we'll get to Google as, you know, head of global sports and entertainment marketing, content, media. You're crushing it at Google. You're building the team there. We'll get to Google. I want to start with you, though. We always start with the guests. And you are, you're someone that, like, I have a shared, shared spirit with. And part of that is you're an amazing athlete. For everyone that doesn't know who you are uh, out there, Kate Johnson competed in nine U.S. women's national rowing teams, silver medalists at the Athens 2004 Olympics, gold medal at the 2002 World Championships, three-time gold medalist at the World Rowing Cup. You're in the Hall of Fame at Michigan. You're an awesome athlete. So we're just going to start there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for bringing me back in time because as it's sitting today, I do not feel like an awesome athlete. I feel that my butt has gotten increasingly flatter during COVID. Um, It's it's like the opposite of feeling athletic at the moment. Uh, So thanks for that. So you're an awesome athlete. You've got got kids. You know, I know you're busy (laughs) running the show at Google, um, but, but we'll start there because you have that athletic background, that athletic mindset. Having that experience on the field of play certainly is transitioning on the field of play or off the field of play in the boardroom. Tell me first about your transition from from sports to the business of sports and 
what you've taken with you from those amazing experiences competing in the Olympics and, and competing at the largest stage? Well, I always love, I, I love to say this, especially because at Google right now, we're, we're really focused on women's sports. Like we have the whole initiative that we're kind of cranking on internally that is nowhere near ready to go public yet, but that really does look at the center of women in sports and kind of that, that triangle that we all know is a vicious one in terms of funding of women's sports, broadcast of women's sports, you know, payment of athletes. It's like all rolled into a bundle. And I, I share that just to start with, because like that is the beginning of my own journey. I am a direct product of being spoken to rowing on the rivers of the Willamette river as like a 14 year old young woman, Nike had this whole campaign out in market called If You Let Me Play. And it was, if you let me play, I will be more likely to become the CEO of a company, to raise my hand in the classroom, to not be in an abusive relationship. And I don't know. I mean, they just like hit me at the center of, you know, what I was, what I was starting to feel as a young athlete. And I would say it's not too long after that, I made the decision as like a two week old novice in rowing. <laughs> really, I rowed for two weeks before I decided to like put in permanent black ink in my journal that I wanted to go to the Olympics one day. And so fast forward to like my transition out of elite sport, um, the U.S. women's rowing team trained in Princeton, New Jersey. And I used to um, seat race on this guy's dock, Joe McCarthy, who I, I do credit. People ask me all the time, like, who are your mentors? I don't even think he knows that he's my mentor. He's just like one of my heroes when it comes to marketing, advertising. He was head of advertising at Nike back in the day during the If You Let Me Play campaign. And then fast forward, you know, nine years later to me leaving the sport of rowing and seat racing on what was his dock in Princeton, New Jersey. And so when I, he, at that time he moved on from Nike, was head of advertising at Johnson & Johnson and Johnson & Johnson had just become a global top partner of the Olympic games for four years. So they were sponsoring Beijing and Torino. And, you know, I like hit him up for a cup of coffee and said, Hey, I'm making this big transition out of the elite rowing world into the world of, I have no idea, just the unknown. I know I want to keep traveling and seeing the world. And I know I want to stay close to the things I love, which is the spirit of competition in the form of marketing. And I love the way you spoke to me as a young woman. How do I do what you did? And he's like, you should go work at IMG. They are our agency of record as we ramp up our sponsorship on the Olympics and you should go just see what can happen. And so that's, that literally is how I made my transition. And then Joe has like just shown up in my life at different times <laughs> throughout my career as just kind of this like wisdom speaker. So anyway, this is kind of my, my shout out to Joe, who now I note to self need to go get in touch with. No, I love, I love you're paying it forward and you're, you, you know, we're obviously a role model on the water as an athlete. Now you're certainly a role model in the world of sports media and tech with what you're doing and all the young women that are rising within this industry that again, don't have a lot of women that they can look up to. And so I certainly see the role that you're playing at Google and, and we'll get into Visa and some of the other roles you've played. You're on the board of uh, the Women's Sports Foundation as well. So again, you're you're not just uh, saying it's important. You're doing a lot uh, in all your your different in all your free time. <laughs> Which, by the way, is like our beginning because you'll remember you and I met standing in line um, as we were like getting ready to walk out onto the stage during the athlete salute in 2000. It was after the 2000. Four, maybe it was five games. Anyway, I can't remember which annual salute it was. It was like between your winter Olympics and after my summer Olympics. And we were both dressed up and I was like, you're Angela, we're talking. And we just like hit it off in line and we're chatting each other up while we were getting yeah. ready to go on stage as athletes. There you go. Back now we're both day. back in the business world. 
But uh, no, the Women's Sports Foundation has an annual salute every year. Uh, encourage listeners, if you want to pay it forward, if you want to uh, uh, work with an organization that does a ton to support women in sport, hit up the WSF. Uh, I was the former president there. Got to know Kate, obviously, as an athlete, um, but they, they do really amazing work. So there's a shout out for the WSF, uh, one of the most influential groups that I've definitely been a part of and got to meet you. So we're, we're, we're steady friends now. But, you know, I want to dive into your um, professional career now because you've you, you, you took a hold of that opportunity. <laughs> IMG, I'm sure you crushed it. I'm sure, obviously, it led to, to bigger things, particularly Visa. Now we, we can fast forward um, your work at Visa and uh, head of global sponsorship marketing there. I was a team Visa athlete. So again, I, there was a little bit of cross crossover um, <laughs> amazing campaign, amazing you know, go world. Like, um, tell us about your role at, at Visa, what you learned and you approach that opportunity. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting. Like I always tell young people who are asking for advice and starting their careers for me, starting my career on the agency side was fundamental to my long-term success because I was able to like sit in on so many different brand initiatives related to sports marketing. So like, you know, my career really began off the back of Johnson and Johnson sponsorship of the Olympics, but on the IMG side from there, I went into working with British Airways and moving to London and living abroad for three years to work with like local sponsors of the London 2012 games. I worked on the Vancouver games in 2010 with local sponsors. But what I loved about that as like my foray into what I do now, which is like in-house is um, I got to learn these companies inside and out and how they help these companies who were usually really new to sports marketing, to sponsorships, to help their brands then elevate. Like they know the airline industry and they know the chocolate making business. They know, you know, mining in the form of Rio Tinto. They know consumer packaged goods in terms of J&J, but like, so learning their business, but being the sports expert was so fun on the agency side, but it did teach me that like, actually, you know, the work really begins and the decision-making lives on the client side. And so that was my decision to go to Visa really came off the back of working on an exceptional, my favorite games to date in London, 2012 and figuring out how to come home. And as you know, and as you referenced, Visa was like iconic when it came to Olympic advertising. So I initially came to Visa to actually head up their Olympic vertical, which, you know, looked after their association with the, um, the IOC, managed the entire partnership there our team visa athlete program. And it was a lot of fun just getting my feet entrenched in the brand and how a brand actually from the inside out leverages um, a formal association with a platform as big as the Olympics to, to service their clients, to grow their products and to communicate about the brand on the world stage. But, you know, within two years of being there, I, you know, was very fortunate. And I um, moved, moved into the role of head of global sponsorship marketing. So I kind of took over from my predecessor, Ricardo Fort, who moved over to Coke. And as I know, you know, Ricardo really well, like, you know, coming up under him was just awesome. And then, you know, moving into that role of heading up global sponsorship marketing at Visa was a blast because then it meant I was working outside my Olympic comfort zone, moving into our partnership with FIFA and helping our team lead our work with, with FIFA and the World Cup. So I think my first World Cup was actually in 20, 2014 in Brazil. Um, and then, you know, obviously saw our work all the way through Russia with the Men's World Cup and then France with the Women's World Cup, which to date, I always say, people ask me, what was your favorite event having worked on at Visa? It actually wasn't an Olympics. It was the 2019 Women's World Cup in France. Like I went out on, on a, such a high when I decided to leave Visa because our execution of the 2019 Women's World Cup was just the best of. It was the best of a brand 
taking an asset and standing it up um, at the highest level and making sure that we shot it from the mountaintop, how incredible those women were. Yeah, no, I remember watching from home and, you know, I'm just kicking myself in the butt for not attending, uh, but that was <laughs> what an amazing event. And, uh, and to your point, to be able to activate and, and leverage your platform and, and make that ecosystem go around. You know, I remember, I remember Visa being, I knew you were there. I was paying attention obviously, but the, uh, it's, Pretty sure it's I invited you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was, I, maybe I was pregnant at the time. I, I don't remember. I think you were preggers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, it's, uh, it's, it's, you've done so much, Kate, and hard work, just I'm sure your approach as a rower and putting that into to learning, to really immersing yourself in the industry from different vantage points, I, I imagine helped lead you to now what, what your, your role is at Google. And before we get into that, like, there's a, there's a question around taking risks, a question around, um, mm. you know, pivoting. Again, I asked more from the, from the perspective of an athlete too, because again, most of my guests are strictly on the business side, but there's, there's something I, I always find as an athlete, it's like willing to take risks and put yourself out there. Do you pull on occasionally your, your experiences on the field and, and then we can get into your work at Google? I mean, all the time. Like I think me being an athlete, me, you know, frankly going all the way, it wasn't even just being an athlete. It was, I think being an athlete. And I always say this when I'm hiring team members, like I can pick an athlete out in an interview within a nanosecond, even if I have not, you know, read their CV yet. Like I would, I would just in the way they talk in the way they talk about how they contribute to team projects, that kind of thing. It's Mm -hmm. very, very quick to find. And it's something that I hire for specifically, like, have you done a team activity? I think for me, like, so listen, taking risks and the power of reinvention, that was, that's the name of the game as an athlete. One of my favorite quotes that I just live by that applies to sport and in life is the most important thing at any moment is to be willing to sacrifice what you are for what you could become. And I think in sport, like the best, the best way to summarize that is like, you're only as strong as your last performance, meaning like you can never rest on your laurels, you know? Um, your last performance could have been a crappy practice. You know, even if you won the gold medal at the Olympics, if your next day, you know, you're in practice and you're just, you, you know, you're not performing like that's, that's, that's your most recent performance. So I think that mentality that like always bettering your best is definitely something that there are days I wish I could shake it, frankly. Like yeah. I will say yeah. at Google, I am having some like sleepless nights just because I know I'm running on fumes right now. And I'm like, yeah what is this that you just constantly are like trying to like one up yourself, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's exhausting, it's, but it's, <laughs> but, uh, but I can relate so much. It's part of the reason I founded sports innovation lab was that mindset of an Olympian is how do I get better each and every single day? And even in my, I remember my fourth Olympics, um, I'm, I realized I could change, tweak my diet and I was, you know, I could, see results as a, as, as in a, what are those little inches that were all around me every single day that you, you know, if you keep adding those up cumulatively, you're going to, it might lead to a gold medal. And why does the business of sports sometimes not operate the same way? Why are we okay with the status quo or, or even just corporations? Um, the, the idea of disruption and change is, you know, to create, a better version of yourself. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I beat myself up. That's what I'm trying to do with our company. And even with this podcast is, is highlight guests like you that are 
changing uh, changing the industry and doing things differently because that's again where fluid fandoms is. That's where the where the the future generation uh, is is headed. Yeah. So let's pivot now to to your role at Google and and what you're trying to accomplish there. Obviously, um, we talk a lot about next generation sponsorship and that the old rules don't apply that, you know, you're not just slapping a logo on the wall. So part of this is sponsorship, but again, there's a much larger conversation, I think, um, with you and how Google is approaching relationships, connections, the network of sponsors within the sports industry. And how are you approaching, uh, obviously your, your role at Google now? Yeah, I mean, well, like, so ripping off kind of the last discussion topic, I think for me, the the Google thing came about totally organically. Like I, you know, I think as all things that are meant to be do come about, I wasn't actually actively looking, but I was having really interesting conversations. And, you know, I was, um, I was starting to feel like, gosh, you know, every, when you start to take for granted the fact that you've got a global association with the Olympics, FIFA and the NFL um, (laughs) as a visa, you know, marketeer like that's when it's probably started like rethink your comfort zone you know I was getting pretty comfortable in the sense of like definitely not a rinse and repeat but like we were constantly trying to think how do we better our best over at Visa but what I was feeling were the boundaries of like truly being kind of what I would say as a sponsorship expert in that space and that was never what I wanted to ultimately become it was certainly on my journey but not like the end destination and so what I was, what I was starting to kind of like, you know, query about within was like, you know, how do I build my brand marketing expertise? How do I like rotate into more of like a media expertise? How do I really double down on my knowledge for tech? Because the trends that we were seeing in the landscape were like, tech is the future of sport, full mm-hmm. stop, hard period, you know? And I think, um, so then these conversations with Google really, like I said, came about organically through a couple of relationships, just, uh, you know, day-to-day interactions that were like, hey, you know, you need to talk to Google. Google should talk to you about this stuff because what they're looking to do is just figure out their role in this space. You know, they are some of the biggest advertisers out there, (laughs) including being their own advertising platform. They themselves are one of the bigger advertisers out there and definitely amongst tech, the leader, I would say, one of the leaders. But as it relates to the sports landscape in particular, if you think about tech as the solution for the future of sport, you know, defining what Google's role is in that space is fundamental, right? And so so that we're actually... The way I describe my my role, and, and frankly, it's up to me that I both wrote the job description that I ended up applying for, and then now I'm executing the job and changing the job description as I go. And I think the privilege in that is in basically building the plane while you fly it is I'm having to learn kind of how all these incredible products that, you know, it, the, the numbers are staggering. Like uh, if you were to list Google's top 10 products, three quarters of those reach 5 billion people. And the next percentage of that reaches at least a billion. So, so like then in terms of awareness, that's not our thing. Maybe, maybe instead it's more of what is our role in the sports landscape? Mm-hmm. How are we being fundamentally additive and also differentiated amongst our tech competitors in terms of what our role is in that space? And, and then that role spreads you know, certainly sponsorship, but then it's also like media integrations. Like how are we improving the live viewing experience? How are we, um, you know, improving the experience in the palm of your hand, knowing that we are in 5 billion users hands, right? Like our, at the end of the day, you know, it's, if our job is to democratize the internet (laughs) for everyone everywhere, then I think it's like democratizing 
fandom as well in the, you know, in terms of Google's intersection within sport. And, and so much of that is just making sure that the user has access to everything that they yeah. would want to enhance their, their experience. Yeah. I love that democratization of fandom, which is a key yeah. part of fluid fandom. They're again, open yeah. to, to change and, tr- and they want new content. They want access they're empowered to choose because of the platforms like all of those you have uh, at Google and they're constantly evolving. They're going to move based on who's going to provide that, that best in class. And um, again, that's paramount in terms of the future of sport. So it's great that you're taking that approach and, you know, to reiterate, we've at sports innovation labs have absolutely, that's why we exist, seen a massive push of tech companies, like Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Google, Alibaba, um, joining the sports industry in different ways. Some are focused on the health and human performance. Some are in the data collection. Some are in the media and distribution. Clarify then, the you've got so many assets at Google and I'm sure large ambitions. Where's the sweet spot? You know, Is that 2BD? Um, I'm sure everyone is curious, uh, Google, with, uh, with, with your, your market presence, how do you think you can have the biggest effect of change within the sports industry? And, and maybe where do you see the industry changing holistically over the next um, five, 10 years? Yeah. I mean, it's such a good question. And it's like at the center of, of like what I wake up and think about every day. So I would say there's really two macro trends that I'm kind of conversing with leagues and teams about, and then also with each of our product areas about, and the macro trends are one, like, you know, um, necessity fuels innovation. COVID is fundamentally changing everything, right? Um, mm-hmm. And certainly for the short term, but definitely for the long term. You know, I think things I'm, I'm paying attention to are, you know, how tech brands are trialing certain technologies because of COVID. You know, with everybody sitting at home, this ability to make sure that the fan still has an experience that matters to them, that, that the leagues and teams are still growing their audiences. And actually, how does COVID help them think about growing their audience and what is the intersection in tech and delivering that um, I find fascinating right now. I think new revenue streams are being born out of COVID in the sense of like, gosh, the virtual fan now, right? There's always been a virtual fan in the fact that people are sitting at home watching, but now that virtual fan in terms of purchasing a ticket, you know, wanting a seat in the venue, um, what does that seat actually need to look like? You know, that's going to be a whole new revenue stream. I think even when we have fans back in the stands live, um, that the leagues and teams should be thinking about, you know, how do I continue to offer this virtual experience that lives so different from the live broadcast element of, of mm-hmm. what we're participating in. And then, and then the second one for me is like, is I guess kind of, you know, building off of that, but pre COVID, I was thinking a lot about like, I don't want my conversation with the league and team to be talking about the now I want to talk about what is your fan vision for how you're engaging with audiences five years, 10 years down the line, and how can we actually help you get there? How can our products and services help you get there? Whether it's through cloud and, you know, a DTC offering, or it's like, what is the role of AR and, um, you know, like these virtual experiences in the palm of your hand uh, that, that like just completely change the way your fan engages. Even more important, like what is the role of Google because I, I look at Google as if the Google kind of like is able to see the intersection of culture across sport. And that for me is kind of the, the putting the pin on it is sport is culture, right? Like sport is so much than just that tactical play. It is what is LeBron James wearing as he walks into the venue? What is he listening to on his Beats headphones as he like gets up going during the warm up? And 
frankly, even just via like search behavior, and we cannot get down granular to the user level, but we can look at these large trends in terms of search behaviors around what these you know, sports cultural platforms are. And we can see so much more that I think these leagues and teams aren't even thinking about in terms of how they engage yeah. fans and how they bring new audiences to the conversation that Google can be instrumental in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you may, you raised some amazing points. That that idea, what I'm hearing is um, your approach is a long-term partnership approach, which is, you know, absolutely the way that sponsorship is is evolving from again slap a logo on the wall but like you, you're bringing capabilities that sports needs and and desperately yeah. will actually fundamentally change sport so aligning your vision and their vision uh is one thing i'm hearing and you're let's touch on a couple of of specifics you mentioned cloud there well the build i would just but the thing i would just caveat there is like so i so i personally look at sponsorship as a bit of a four letter word only because i think when people reference sponsorship it's really hard to get away from what was always the traditional construct of a sponsorship right it was like the exchange of commercial terms to earn the right to be an official of and like it 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 didn't always contemplate what is the actual physical role of my product in this relationship yeah. and what's the value exchange that's occurring so i really i would say even like the commercial partnership teams i think leagues and teams are going to have to rethink their structures when it comes yeah. to tech too because having a conversation with the commercial team is important to a degree, but actually my conversation is going to start with their chief innovation officer. My conversation starts with their CTO. My conversation even starts with their CMO, but like, I want to know what's your vision. And that I think can get lost. And as we all know, including having worked at a matrix organization, like (laughs) making sure those teams are finishing each other's sentences before they go, especially to a tech partner to start the conversation is critical. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's great. You, you raised that. It's, it literally was, I think one of our first blog posts when we started sports innovation lab four years ago, I think the title was tech sponsorship and, uh, application should not, uh, should not be in the same conversation because you're, you're right. It's the, the, it's not just dollar it's yeah. Okay. Google and Alibaba and Facebook, they, you have budgets, but, um, but, they 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 look and think very differently uh, than uh, what could traditionally be done, and so um, so your your point too around COVID, uh, I think, is excellent, and that's what we're seeing. The that COVID is single handedly going to, is actually changing the sports industry in a way that we have never seen because we've been very comfortable, and the discomfort now is creating a lot of opportunities for the right companies. So uh, sounds like you're leaning yep. in there. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. That's, a, that's fantastic. So then tell me about a little bit about the specifics. Our data recently shown, you mentioned cloud computing. It's it's definitely a topic that's trending in sports. You guys are great at it. You know, more stadiums are going to need better connectivity uh, as they think about something just basic like selfies. But, you know, more importantly with COVID, if fans are coming back, all the different infrastructure needed to support being safe in the stadium, right? Um, fans want more social experiences. Mm-hmm. They want, you know, more players wanting to create new content for their, with their performance state. All this is cloud, right? You're going to need that capability. Is this a big opportunity for sports? What can you talk about specifically cloud and, and why that necessary infrastructure is needed for these new age fans and for, you know, next generation sports properties? 
I mean, your cl- the cloud stack of a league and a team is critical, right? Like they, they like because it's 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 like the cornerstone to then cornerstone for building blocks, right? You can build so much more on top of as long as your cloud infrastructure is in place. There's so much more you can do. I think the trick is is that cloud for the most part is a B two B offering, right? If there's you know, and I and so that's where I think sometimes with these leagues and these teams building in, you know, marketing partnerships around cloud, you're not always going to necessarily get there with the right cloud partner if if it's like absolutely fundamental that you also have a um hello Brennan, my my two and a half year old join the podcast, haven't you? Okay. <laughs> He's gonna go take a nap. Say hi to our friend Angela and and all of our listeners. And so this cute. is what it's like to be working <laughs> home during COVID, everybody. So cute. <laughs> Say bye bye. Um, but just like keeping up with my train of thought, you know, I, the way I consider our cloud partners, anytime I'm coming into any of these conversations right now, and this is my team internally at Google, is like, hey, what is our macro vision here, and where do we see like the best thinking, such that like we're prioritizing cloud as like the the cornerstone platform to then build in all the things that the power of quote unquote one Google can bring to that partnership. So, mm-hmm. what I mean by that is like, you know whether it's Microsoft and Azure or, you know, Google Cloud and Meet, like Meet sits on top of that cloud capability. So everything you're seeing with the NBA right now and Microsoft Teams, like that's built on the Azure tech stack, right? That they've just put together for the NBA and they're able to kind of bring this virtual fan in via the Teams, Microsoft Teams platform. So those are things that I think about when it comes to cloud. But I do think, and just, you know, to kind of just circle back to the beginning of my comment is like, the marketing component for cloud almost is less important because cloud overall is a B2B offering. And so that's where I think going back to my earlier comment on like the traditional sponsorship enter, you know, enter here component is like, keep those things in the B2B lane where it makes sense to have a commercial marketing partnership. Fine. But um, I think everybody shouldn't be looking through the lens of like, I'm going to do this cloud deal contingent on there being a marketing component to it. I think it should be like, do you have the right tech stack? to yeah. do all the things you want to do first and foremost. Yeah. Obviously bias here at Sports Innovation Lab, because if you don't have that tech stack, if you're not thinking in these terms, again, a, a fundamental shift in my opinion is occurring and you have to separate the two because fluid fans demand more. They are they are fickle. They may not be your typical diehard. They want to be entertained. They want those capabilities that they get outside of sports. And Google knows that better than anyone, right? There's there yeah. are needs in the market for the consumer and the consumer is the fan at the end of the day. And so it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, more properties aren't leaning in and having those kinds of conversations with the Googles of the world to say, what are you doing to help people, consumers outside of sports? And what are the things that those fans are demanding outside of sports that we can bring in and leverage on a sports media and entertainment platform? Um, the content alone, totally. this, is the, this is the hard thing. I'd like to think people show up and watch me play hockey, but in reality, if I, if you don't have Wi-Fi, if it's hard to get a ticket, if consuming, they can't even find you at home or they can't do something when they're watching. I mean, there's all these limitations now that, and, or expectations, I guess, from, from fans, from consumers that look very different when you, than when you and I were participating, or it may have just been the content of sport. It, this consumer is very right. different now. So you guys get that, right? Um, I'm sure that's I mean, I think that 
that is like the fundamental thing that has to change. And that like, I, you know, I think as long as we're only ever talking to the avid consumer and we're only ever in innovating towards the avid fan, we're missing the whole picture. Like the, there are fans of basketball that don't ever even tune into the NBA because they're sneaker heads. All they care about are what are the sneakers the, the players are wearing. And they're like, they've got this whole separate market going on sneakerdom. Right. And so like, how are, how's the NBA talking to those guys? You know, mm-hmm. um, they're not talking to them through live broadcasts. They're not talking to them, you know, because those guys are playing fantasy NBA. Like they're they're They have to figure out a different way to actually connect in with that fan base, which is massive. And like actually cares about the NBA because they care about the sneakers that the players are walk, walking in wearing and they're like trading them. And there's a whole market going on there that like NBA is not necessarily even tapping into. And so those are the, or, or like music alongside sport. You know, I think about that and the exchange that occurs around music. And so, you know, this is my point where I think it's really interesting during COVID to see the technologies that are coming to life. If we only ever look at the um, integration of those technologies through what we think the traditional fan wants, we're missing like this whole other part of the pie. Um, so even yeah. like the, 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 you know, the virtual fans in the stands, like what's the problem with having a virtual fan that's actually sitting at home is that like, they're still getting up and going on their break, you know, their, their, their bathroom break and like oh, live plays going on, but they're going to answer the phone and talk to grandma while they're like sitting there in the virtual. So like, can we actually think about that virtual experience totally differently that gets that fan meets the fan where they are, not where we want them to be or where they think they should be. Yeah. Yeah. The, power i mean that's a really great point go to where they are the power is shifting in a way the one size fits all approach the hey we're the league we're the this team and die hard you're either binary you're a fan or you're not a fan is how you know again the traditionalists and it's slowly shifting into go to where the fan is we have to we have to do more at the end of the day and the attention economy fundamentally is about grabbing their attention and there's so many more entertainment options out there, even outside of just sports that hurdle again for fandom uh, you have to get over. So I'm excited by the fact that Google is in this space. I'm even more excited for the fact that Kate Johnson is in this space behind Google. (laughs) Give us a little insight then Kate, in terms of you talked about doing things differently. We know fluid fans are consuming sports media, new and innovative ways. Obviously COVID has shined a major light on that. There's tons of OTT platforms out there. You know, YouTube TV is an offshoot. You've got some sports content. We've seen Amazon do a bit. They're, they're you know, shout out to the female-led NFL Thursday night broadcast. We got Facebook doing something with StatCast for their MLB games. What's Google working on to offer these fluid fans more immersive experiences? Can you talk about anything on the, the immersive media piece or the OTT piece on mobile or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, so I thank you for bringing up mobile. I would say watch this space. We've got some exciting things brewing on our side. You know, mobile is a really interesting one because traditionally mobile hasn't been a player in the sports space, mostly because, you know, like we're already in every, like the marketplace is just very different, right? It's really competitive, but there's also like key players in the mobile space that lead that charge. But I think like, if you think of the power of mobile in the fan experience, like that, that power is insane. And so if you can actually figure out like the way I like to think about it is like pixel is the best of Google in the palm of your hand. 
How are we communicating that though to the fan, right? Like, are we making sure that the Pixel user, and Pixel is the Google phone, right? Is the Pixel user getting the best sports content that they want through YouTube TV? You know, are we giving them access to things like NFL Red Zone, if that were going to be an option? Are we, you know, you know, making sure that their Stadia experience, best of Google, again, in the palm of their hand is like front and center and present in a way that gives them options because what we don't do is ever make choices for the consumer. We leave the, the choices up to them. But I think the, the bigger point is like, how are we communicating to the sports fan about that mobile experience that they can and could have through Pixel? And mm-hmm. that's where we're spending quite a bit of time right now is like, what's the opportunity there for us? Some other things that I think are fun to think about is certainly AR. Again, like, you know, the user experience in the palm of your hand, AR sits within the mobile space as well. And how can you bring that to life? I mean, there's so many cool things going on during COVID too, without fans in the stands that like, we should be able to enable on second screen. So that's where we're spending some of our time is thinking about like, how does AR play a role in this? But then I think just in like, in terms of OTT overall, like YouTube TVs, you know, I don't know, have you like the YouTube TV offering is incredible. I mean, I hadn't even thought twice about it before I joined Google. And then I, (laughs) and then I subscribed and was like, oh my gosh, like, why haven't I been doing this for the last five years? And so I think that's why you do see, and there's a really great team on the YouTube TV side that has been doing some pretty compelling um, content partnerships with the MLB, with the NBA and, and NBA, WNBA finals, just to make sure we're driving subscriptions because it's because you're, you're constantly battling two things. One is like the offering itself and making sure that that's top notch, but then also making sure that users know about it because there's so many choices right now. It's getting, mm-hmm. I think we're getting to the breaking point in terms of options. And those options are adding up. And so that's something that I expect to change in the next couple of years, too. You know, COVID is forcing everything in terms of linear to be live. Like, everything's live. That's, that's all linear is now is live, period, full stop. Which means then, you know, OTT is where everything else lives. And that is getting to be a pretty cluttered space. Yeah, no, it's one of the hallmarks of uh, global fandom. When times are good, you you create more content, more just on more distribution platforms with more partners and more, more, more oversaturation. And you juxtapose that to the attention economy and you're like, whoa, wait, there's less time though. <laughs> and so right. getting through that clutter to reach the fan, to reach the fluid fan now in this next generation is... Again, um, what we're, curi- we're curious about every single day, we, we just put out a report, the future of watching sports, and you hit on a lot of those themes in there. The idea of mobile, um, mobile first and linear, like juxtaposed of OTT. And, I, and I'll give YouTube TV a shout out as well. I know, I know Josh, our co- my co-founder, Josh Walker, is a big fan of that. He, he made me tune in a few years ago. He's like, ah, this is the best ever. So, um, Yay, so good. curious to hear where you guys head in that, in that space as well. Do you have any, any takeaways before we, we pivot into my final segment Four questions with number four, just in terms of <laughs> your approach to, uh, yeah, we'll get in the, you can chuckle, uh, <laughs> just in terms of your approach to the fan experience. Um, I know you've talked a lot to us about wanting to be helpful that Google, again, is approaching sports partnerships with that vein in mind. And that, um, again, playing on this next generation where technology is going to power sports. Yes, there may be a financial sponsorship component, but even more so there's a let's deliver a better experience for that fan. And can you hit on either that or some other major takeaway for, for our listeners today? 
this is this is really what I'm kind of here to help us figure out is if if Google, you know, and Sundar CEO is, you know, he he really believes passionately and he has like said this from the top down throughout Google so that everybody feels this in all that they do is is really to bring the magic um, of Google to life through the helpfulness of our products, right? Like we want to be understood as the world's most helpful company. And you like, it is not a leap to think about how our products are helping everyone. You know, these 5 billion users worldwide have like amazing things at their fingertips because of Google, whether that be translation when they're traveling abroad, whether that be, you know, for the person that cannot read, being able to apply a lens to something and, and be able to have that audio fed back to them. I mean, it is, it is, supplying the internet in sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. But then when I look at that through like what my remit is, which is really sports and entertainment, you know, as I think about these like 5 billion users, I'm looking at it through the lens of like 5 billion fans. And I, and I think sometimes the fan gets a bad rap as, a, as like the avid sports champion, but that's not what actually they are. Like if you put, if you remember like Google and you think about Google and the helpfulness of our products at the center of culture, and then I juxtapose that with like sports is culture, how can we actually make sure that we're being helpful to that user in enabling through all of our products and services, like the best experience they could ask for alongside the things that they care about most when it comes to sports. So like I said, if that's sneaker the sneakerhead that only cares about the NBA because of the football, the, the, the um, shoes that the basketball players wear, like let's service them, you know, and make sure that like mm-hmm. by a map, they have the best way to find the store or the person that's exchanging that, you know, that shoe that they really want or, you know, or through AR and lens, like, do you want a better shot? You're not in the stadium. You're sitting at home. You're watching this on your mobile device. Can you hold it up to the screen and actually put yourself into the shot that you want to actually be, seeing real time you know or maybe there's something where the person that's like new to that sport or like the girlfriend that's watching it with her boyfriend or the boyfriend watching it with her girlfriend and wants to know you know the boyfriend wants to know more about hockey for the female fan from the from his like avid hockey fan as a girlfriend and like he gets to hold up his pixel phone with lens and learn a couple of insider stats on like how hockey works I just think there are so many ways that we can enable a fan experience that we haven't even started to tap into that is going to be the future of, um, of where we're going. And then the only other thing, and cause I could obviously talk about this stuff all day is like, I think a lot about the role of connected cities, connected stadiums, smart venues, all of that. Like it's all kind of a bit of a buzz buzz world right now in terms of like these smart things, but the role of tech and, and truly through these incredible platforms, leaving venues, cities, stadiums better than we found them is, is fundamental. So like, again, I think back to like the helpfulness of Google and our products mm-hmm. around these platforms to think about like, how are we making sure that even, you know, the, on the business side of things, like we're being helpful. So, yeah. So Kate Johnson, again, thank you so much for sharing your insights, head of global sports and entertainment marketing, content, media, at Google. I'm not going to let you go. We've got a final segment, four with four, my number, as you know, my favorite number. I'm asking you four questions on innovation. So first one, fairly easy, broad, but be concise. What does innovation mean to you? Innovation means to me, always thinking 10 years ahead and reinventing what you are for what you could become. It's Olympic mindset. I see. What can I do today to be better? All right. Who's the most innovative person in our industry? Who do you look oh, up to? God. 
someone you're like, man, uh, Adam Silver. Yeah, he gets a lot. He got, he got, well, I just did a podcast. He, he keeps getting some love. I, I agree though. I mean, that guy's. He, you know, and I don't, I, even like the, 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 the tech conference that they do, like a lot of that is smoke and mirrors, let's be honest. But like the fact that he's even doing it means that he's getting the best thinkers to his sport. And that alone is innovative in my mind. Like, yeah. I just think he's always thinking and I really respect that in a leader. Mm-hmm. That guy's never comfortable with where they are. He's always trying yeah. to figure out where they need to be. Go to where the puck's headed. I also love that he talked about like NBA and the monetization of culture because I think he's absolutely right. Like sports is the center of culture and the sooner we can tap into that, the better. Yeah. Yeah, the NBA, um, we should have a whole podcast on just their their approach. Uh, they get a lot of love for get, obvious reasons. Get Kate on there. Kate Javiri, their CMO. She is incredible. All right. So next guest, Jack. <laughs> All right. Who's the most innovative company in sports technology, can't say Google, but a provider, someone that you think is uh, has fundamentally changed sports and entertainment. Arise, hmm. Arise Technology. Check them out. I mean, they are trying to reinvent kind of the in-stadium and experience via AR, AR, you know, servicing and platforms. Love it. AR yeah. is a is a good one. So I, I will. Uh, we've heard of them. Obviously, we'll uh, we'll give them a shout out. All right. Finally, who's the most innovative league team or federation? You can obviously say someone you've worked with in the past or, or just someone that you respect and think uh, have, have the right model. I think the NWSL right now, I'm going with NWSL. Yeah, Lisa Baird. Lisa Baird. I think, you know, just with like how they're engaging key stakeholders with, you know, LA and, you know, Angel City and everything they're doing there. I think, um, frankly, I'm very proud to say like the NWSL is the first team sport to come back to live competition out of, out of uh, COVID. And like, they were at the front lines of trying to figure out how do we engage our fans through technology. And it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just these, or a Google leaning in there. It was, it was other tech brands too. So Kudos to them for leading the charge. And just because they're a women's sport, they don't get nearly as much of the shout outs that they yep. deserve in terms of leading that conversation. So I'm putting them front and center. And you, uh, you are one of their partners. I, I, I know that I saw that announcement day one when they, the league launched, and they had no cases. Again, another case in point, uh, they, you know, Lisa and, and her yep. team obviously did, uh, did a great job. They did with the, the bubble the cup this year. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I love it. NWSL. Um, we talk a lot about the smaller leagues and women's leagues being innovative and different and are able to try things and just what an amazing opportunity it is for partners to come in and, and support groups like that. And yeah, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Angel City. Thank you to my good friend, Kate Johnson, for joining me today. It's uh, always great to pick the brain of such an accomplished leader in the industry, both on the boat and off the boat, as they say. Uh, You've crushed it both as an athlete and now as an executive. Proud of you, Kate. I thought, you know, some really great points were made today on our conversation around how Google's tech can begin to create new revenue streams for properties. Really interesting to think about what those partnerships will look like in the future. Uh, highlighted the importance of connecting with fans via mobile devices. That, that's a no-brainer, but again, if you got Google powering you, uh, really interesting direction to lean into the behavior that fans are, are craving. And we know that Fluid fans are consuming sports media on the move, and if they're actually able to access all of their content, social and 
do more things um, like betting or buying in one connected device, then we know that that's the definition of an immersive experience. So uh, eager to see how Kate and her team at Google will continue to innovate the sports industry and uh, look forward to some big partnership discussions on, uh, on the near future. I want to thank my producer, Jack Barlow, uh, again, as well as the entire team at Sports Innovation Lab. Lots going on in the industry, and my team uh, continues through this podcast and our research uh, to keep the industry abreast of all those, those changes. Proud of the work that we're doing each and every day to, again, accelerate innovation and, uh, and help this industry at the end of the day, the industry that I love that changed my life. So good work, team. Want to finish with uh, thanking my listeners uh, for tuning in today. Hopefully you enjoyed my conversation with Kate Johnson. If you did, feel free to subscribe to our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Anchor. Uh, leave me a review. Uh, of course, reach out to my team or me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, we're at Sports iLab. I am at Angela Ruggiero. And, uh, and let me know what guests you want to hear from moving forward. Uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Angela Ruggiero, and see you next time.